Well, good morning, church. How is everybody doing today? All right, all right, all right. Hey, question as we begin. Ever said anything you wish you could take back? Uh, my word. So it's 1982. The Earth's crust is just a little spongy yet, and I'm in Bible college. And I, I'm coming. I, I grew up in Watertown, <clears throat> and I was never really introduced to a lot of people from anywhere else but Wisconsin and, uh, or other countries. And so I'm working in the kitchen at, at, at Crown College, and I meet this girl from New Jersey. Never met anybody in my life from New Jersey. And she is like bold and brash and in my face and now, 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 let's get going. And I'm like, I, it was just like oil and water. I could not handle her. <clears throat> and so I did the very Christian thing, and I, some of my buddies were around me, and I began to talk to them about her and tell them exactly what I thought about, about joy. And their eyes started to get a little bit bigger. And I realized something was going on behind me, and I looked behind me, and there's joy standing right behind me. Yeah, she burst into tears and, and ran off, and it's like, I felt about this high at that moment. If I could have taken those words back, I would have. And I know that in, in a room like this, not only have we said things, but things have also been said about us that, that deeply hurt. And over the next three weeks, we're going to be going through a new series that's called Before You Hit Send. And I'm looking at three topics about is it true, first of all? Is it kind? And is it necessary? Really talking about the way in which we speak to one another. And, this, and I want to really encourage you on something. I want to encourage you to be here for the next three weeks, to be part of this series. And we're going to also, we're going to learn a memory verse together over the next three weeks. I mean, you thought that you'd just come to church and sit down. Uh, I think we heard last week, church is a place where you come and sit and just eat Cheetos and whatever else. Um, we're, going to, we're going to do a little work, and, uh, but this series has the potential. It has the potential to change the landscape of marriages. It has the potential to change the landscape of our, of our workplace. It has the potential to change the landscape of our families and in the way in which we do things. And asking ourselves the question before the words come out of our mouth, before they're, before they're out there, is it true? Is it kind? Is what I'm saying is it kind? And is it necessary? Am I the one who needs to say this? Is it necessary to say it? Because you think about it. In the world today, there are billions of conversations going on over the internet right now. Let me just give you some statistics. Twitter, 10,000 tweets a second. 10,000 tweets a second. 600,000 600, per minute. 361 billion a year. That's just Twitter. Facebook, 8,500 a second. And I think those numbers have also gone up. With 267 billion Facebook posts a year. Instagram, a billion a month. A billion a month Instagram posts right now. And do you think in some of those posts and some of those things that are being said, there are things that were not very kind or not very true or they weren't necessary, they weren't for you to be said? You ever get, a, you ever get an email where it's all caps? Yeah, yeah. What are, they, what are they And a lot of times, too, people will say things in an email that they wouldn't say in person. And the thing that we need to understand is that God is very concerned about the things that we say. Here's our memory verse that I really want you to work on. It is Psalm 19:14. Would you say it with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart 
Be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I would really like you to commit to learning that simple verse over this next, over this next three weeks. It's not hard. I mean, if this old guy can do it, I think a lot of us can do it. But think about this verse before you say something. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my, my, o Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Because as we look this morning, we're going to be focusing this morning on is, is it true? Is what is, I'm saying, is it true, what, what's coming out of our mouth? Because we can live in a lie, can't we? There are lies that we tell and there are lies that we believe. And we need to be asking ourselves the question, is what I'm saying, is what I'm believing, is it the truth? And this is where, and, and I'll just warn you, I'll warn you ahead of time. This is going to get dark before it gets light, okay? There's going to be a little bit of darkness in this. It's going to be a little harder to hear, but there's hope at the end of this, okay? So hold on with me here as we begin. But as we look at this question of is it true, as we start out this question, we go back to the scriptures and we, and we see there's a thread that winds itself throughout the lives of the patriarchs. Now some of you are new to church and you're saying, what on earth is a patriarch? I don't know what a patriarch is. Patriarchs are the people that early guys in the, in the Bible, Abraham, his son Isaac, Isaac's son Jacob, and Jacob's 12 sons, that these are what we would call the patriarchs. And there's a thread of dishonesty and, and lies that weaves itself throughout this, out this family. And the thing that we don't understand often is when we lie, we don't realize what effect it'll have on our family. This is something that winds itself through the family. Look at, look at Abraham as it starts out. And these are just some verses that are coming up there, and I'm going to go pretty quickly through this. Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 20. Abraham, to save his skin, he tells his wife two occasions. On two occasions. This is Abraham. This is the, the big guy. And, and on two occasions he says what? When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but let you live. Go on to the next scripture. Say you're my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. Now, was that the truth? Kind of. Kind of the truth. And that's where we can fudge, can't we? Because there are times where it's, 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 it's kind of the truth. If it's a half-truth, it's what? A lie. It's a lie. And that's one of the lies we believe, is that I can tell a half-truth. Well, you say, well, what about that lady in the Bible, Rahab, the lady who, when the spies came, and she covered them up with grain, and she lied about what, where they were, what was going on? What about that? God never commends that. He never commends what it is that she did. God never commends lying. And we see here... Abraham, to save his skin, he lies. He tells her, tell, tell me you're my sister. Now think about this for a second. How old are they at this point? They're past 75. And this isn't some spring chicken. I don't know. She must have been quite, quite a good-looking lady for him to want to say this. But it goes, gets better. His son Isaac does the very same thing. Okay, as we go on, Genesis chapter... Um, Let's see, where, where's that at? Uh, Genesis chapter 26. Now, okay, go on to the next one. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. This is the same place that Abraham had been. When the men of that place asked about his wife, he said, she's my sister. 
Now, was that the truth or was that a lie? That was a lie. Flat out. She, because he was, what? Afraid to say she's my wife. He thought the men of this place will kill me on account of Rebecca because she is, she's beautiful. When Hebrew says that, when it gives you some detail about their life, she was a knockout. You'll see that several times. She was a knockout. And what's he do? To save his skin? He tells a lie. Go on to the next one, to Jacob. Isaac's son, Jacob. Isaac's son's Jacob. In order to get what he wanted, not only Isaac, but Isaac's mother, Rebecca, they scheme and they connive to get what they wanted. And here's the thing. It was something that God had already promised to them. But it would come in God's timing, not in theirs. And so they deceived and they lied to get what it was that they, that they wanted. And when Jacob is, is at the place where his father asks him, are you truly Esau? I mean, he's trying to really scam his father into thinking. I mean, he's got the goat hair on his arms. He smells just like his brother. But while dad may not be able to see, he can hear. And he says, the, the smell is that of, of Esau, but the sound of the voice is Isaac. Are you truly Esau? I am, he says. Is that truth or a lie? It's a lie. And where does it go? It keeps going into the family. Jacob's 12 sons. Jacob is married. Jacob, when he leaves, when he leaves his family, he leaves to go and, and be with his, his mother's brother. If Jacob is a liar, oh, he has met his match in Laban. If Laban's mouth is moving, he's lying. I mean, that guy is a deceiver from the, from the word go. I mean, everything he does is about, he is what, what he intends to do is to leave at the very beginning. He says, should I, um, let me get the scripture there. Genesis chapter, uh, Genesis chapter 29, verses 14 to 19. Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and blood. And after Jacob had served him for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for nothing? When you look 20 years down the road, what is Laban seeking to leave Jacob with? Nothing. He says, everything you have is mine. And it's only the grace of God that intervenes for the, in, in Sarah's case, in Rebecca's case, and now here in this case for Jacob. But Jacob, is, even though he's gone for 20 years away from his family, he's in a place where it's a miserable place even with his father-in-law, but he's married to someone that he doesn't love. He's tricked into marrying uh, Leah, and that's a sermon for another day. Leah is the girl that nobody loved. And Leah, Leah is living in the shadow of her sister, Rachel, and that's the one who Jacob is just head over heels, madly in love with her. But he gets tricked into marrying Leah, and the Hebrew is very clear. He hated her, but he loved Leah. But Rachel's the one who has kids. Leah can't have any kids. They have 10 sons through Leah, through Leah and her concubines. But the one son that comes, the, the first son that comes through Rachel, his name is Joseph. And Jacob loves Joseph. He dotes on him. He does, in a family relationship, exactly what his father had done with Isaac, when Isaac had done with, his, with the son that he loved, Esau. Okay, I, I digress. But when he, when Jacob comes, when Joseph comes along, he gives him a coat of many colors. That coat of many colors, that was like a neon sign to the, to the other brothers. This one, this son is the heir apparent. 
He's going to inherit the lion's share of the family. And so when the opportunity comes, remember? Remember what I talked about a few, a few weeks ago about hurt not quarantining well? Were these brothers hurt? Ooh, yeah, they were hurt. And because of their hurt, when they see Joseph coming, and they say, oh, here comes that dreamer. And so they take Joseph, and they're going to kill him, but then a group of Midianite traders come along. And instead of doing that, they, they, they trade him. They sell him off for the price of a, of a crippled servant, a crippled slave. And as the dust of the Midianite traders is going away from them, they think, out of sight, out of mind. But nothing could be further from the truth. The chickens will come back to roost one day for them. But they got a problem. How do we clean up this mess? See, this is what happens with lies. This is what happens with deceit. How do I clean up this mess? How do I make it so that I look good in this mess? And what they did is they take the robe, the robe of many colors. They tear it up a little bit, dip it in goat's blood. And again, go back to the Hebrew, and the Hebrew is very clear. They sent somebody to, to them, and they said, examine this. See if it belongs to your son Joseph. Did they know that it was Joseph's? What's that called? That's called deception. Is deception a lie? Is the intent? See, there's the thing. May the words of my mouth, this is an all play, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Deceitfulness is also an attitude of the heart. It's, it's lying. It's with an intent to trick, and they deceived. But here's the thing. Lies have a destructive nature to them, don't they? They really do. At the very core, lies are destructive. And you think about it. So why is God, what does God say about lying? What does he say about deceit? I mean, it's a big deal for God. I mean, it's part of the Big Ten. Uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, what does it say? It says, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You're not supposed to lie against your neighbor. Exodus, or Leviticus chapter 19, verse 11. It says, do not steal. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. See, it's, lying goes against the very nature of God. We read in Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. It says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and then not fulfill? When God says something, he plans on doing it. Now, I know that we never do this, right? Right? How are you doing today? Fine. And inside, you're, you're falling apart. But of course, okay, yeah, what am I supposed to do, Pastor? Just kind of you know, pour out everything to the first person that comes in and says, how are you doing today? I don't know if you do that, but I think you find somebody, somebody that you trust. And I'm going to talk more about small groups in a little bit, but that's... That's where small groups come in. I'm going to pray for you. I'll pray for you on that. Do we? That, that's an easy one. Easy one to say. Hey, I'll pray for you on that. We'll get together. We'll, we'll do lunch. And we don't. Amen. And, you know, we, we say these things, but God, and, and sometimes too, we, we say, okay, I'm, I'm going to serve in this way, and then we don't. It's like, okay, what's, what's up with that? See, what God says is he desires that there's truth in our inmost being. I'm going to come to that in just a little bit. God desires truth in our inmost being. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God desires that in our inmost being that we would be speaking the truth. As well, 
Um, we read in Hebrews 6.18 that it, it, it's absolutely impossible for God to lie. It said, God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. It's impossible. It goes absolutely against God's nature. God desires that his children would speak the truth. Why? Because lies destroy the truth. Lies destroy, lies destroy the freedom that truth seeks to bring. More on that in a second. Lies destroy the truth that freedom seeks to bring. Lies destroy the freedom that truth seeks to bring. God desires that there would be truth in us and that the things we say are truthful. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. But not only that, but he says as well in Psalm chapter 57, he says, uh, he says in Psalm 57, Psalm 51, he says, Surely you desire truth in my inmost parts. Teach me wisdom in the inmost place. You desire truth where? That's where truth begins. Because why do we struggle, struggle to tell the truth? I think there's a couple, three, four reasons why we struggle to tell the truth. Why did Abraham struggle to tell the truth? Because by nature, this is slide number three, by nature, uh, lies are many times are self-centered. Was it about self-centeredness that, that Abraham and Isaac lied? Yeah. Save their own skin. So what damage does that, that do? Think about poor Sarah. And Rebecca, as they're being led away to a harem and not knowing, will I ever see my husband again? And Abraham, whew, as long as I'm safe, uh, I'm safe. And what about them? Do we, ever, do we ever think about what happens when we lie and the costly nature of lies? And even Isaac or uh, Jacob, he gets what he wants. Something that God had already promised to him, promised that he would give to them. But he wanted it in their time. He got what he wanted. But in the end, what did he get? He'll never see his mother again. And he spends 20 years in absolute misery with, with a father-in-law by the name of Laban. Lies are costly, aren't they? Think about it in your own families. Maybe mom and dad didn't always tell the truth to one another. They, they'd tell you how they felt about one another. And you were in the middle of all that. You know what happens when you do that? When Okay, I'm just going to use Barry here for a second. Not, I don't have anything with Barry. I got something wrong going on, on with Barry. And Barry and I, we're not seeing eye to eye. So instead of going to Barry, I talk to, I talk to Al. And I tell Al, you know, Barry did this. And you, know who, you know who gets triangulated in that? Say Al. And maybe you were in a family where Mom or dad, they used you as the one too. You know, they're having struggles and mom would come and just pour out her heart to you and tell you how bad your father was and father would come to you and tell how bad the mother was. And then what happens? You get stuck in the middle of all this and who gets hurt? You get hurt. How about at a job site? You ever been affected by somebody who said something about you that wasn't the truth? <laughs> Maybe you've been on the other end of the one who's been not speaking the truth. And people lose jobs, good jobs, as a result of lies. Nineteen seventy-seven. I had just prayed to receive Christ as my Savior. Uh, I would came back. I was uh, starting my junior year of high school. 
I went to work for a shoe store. And I was making, in 1977, $5.79 an hour selling shoes. That was good money. That was good money. And it was a good place. It was an easy job to sell. And one day, we were slow in business, and the lady told me, she said, the owner, she said, go downstairs and straighten out the boxes. And that's when I saw them. Red Wing boots. Ooh, they were nice. And I said, in my heart, I said, I, I want that. And so I, she said I could take home extra you know, shoe boxes. And I said, okay. So I put the shoes in the bottom and put the boxes over the top. The end of the day comes, and she said, here, let me help you with that box. And she said, that feels a little heavier than what it should. And she said, uh, what's in the box? And she began to empty out the box, and there were the shoes. How did those get in there, she asked. I don't know. And she said, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to fire you. And it came down to dishonesty on my part. Um, tough lesson to learn. Mm -hmm. But the problem was, I didn't learn from that. I kept... I, I felt like I was the one, you know, when, then when I had to go and tell my parents, why'd you lose your job? Oh, I, I falsely accused. See, that's what happens with lies. They just keep perpetuating themselves. <laughs> I'm not proud of that. I struggled with the Lord with even telling that. I wasn't going to say that this morning. But that's what lies do. And, and when we get caught in a lie, what are you going to do? Are you going to do that which honors... See, what we're talking about, what I've been talking about since I got here was, what does God want? God wants us to be truthful in our inmost being. Because when we're confronted by God, does God speak the truth to us? All the time. When God asks Adam and Eve in the garden, did you eat of the fruit that I told you not to? Is it because God doesn't know? Absolutely. When he asks Elijah, what are you doing here? Is it because he doesn't know? Of course he knows. He's asking to see whether or not we'll be honest. And right now, I have a hunch that God is tapping some of us on the shoulder and asking us, All right, will you be honest? Because that's the nature of a lie. We seek to protect ourselves from being honest. Why? Out of fear. Because if they truly knew what I did or what I said, that's what I'm thinking. It's like, okay, if they really knew, are they going to trust me with, the, you know, with this or with that ever again? That happened a long time ago, and I hope you will trust me. But I have to earn that trust with you guys. But out of protection, we protect ourselves. Out of fear. Out of fear, we, we seek to protect ourselves. Because if they truly knew who I was, they wouldn't want to have a relationship with me. That's what Facebook's all about. You ever see the pictures on Facebook? It isn't the way you look right now. It's what the way you look, whatever. It's you pick the best picture that you can. So you look the best in front of people. And why is it that we're afraid to be who we are? Because if people really knew who I was, then they wouldn't have, want to have a relationship with me. Here's where I'm going back to small groups. I really want to encourage you, if you're not part of a small group, to be part of a small group. Why? Why, why should I be part of a small group? Because when you're within a small group, that's a safe place. Okay, I, I say that to small group leaders who are sitting here. That, that should be a safe place. A place where people can be honest. A small group is a place where you learn to worship. 
Small group is a place where you learn to pray with one another, where you learn to have fellowship with one another, where you're there for one another. This is big group. Sunday morning, this is big group. But we need a smaller group to come to, a place where people know us, a place where we're not afraid to say, hey, I haven't had a good week. I had a really bad week because I messed up and I did this. And they're not going to judge, but they're going to gather around you and they're going to pray for you. But can I go one step deeper than that? Not only should we have big group, small group, but an accountability group. And some of you guys are like, no, no, that's a little too touchy-feely for me. It shouldn't be. Because a small group has a potential, or a, 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 an accountability group has a potential to really keep things honest. For the last 15 Maybe more than 15 years, I've had an accountability partner. He's a pastor in Sydney, Montana. Uh, we pa- I, when I pastored in Montana, I, I grew to know him and just continued on, and we continue on. And what, one of the elements of that accountability relationship is we're free to ask one another whatever, with the caveat that whatever my answer is, it's going to be the truth. <sighs> because the Holy Spirit has a way of, for me, If I'm not honest, he doesn't leave me alone until I am honest. And so the last thing that I want to do is tell a lie because I don't want to tell a lie to my wife because then I have to go to her and say, I wasn't honest. That's not fun at all. Uh, I don't want to have to go back to my accountability partner and say, you know, I said this, but in reality, this is what I did. The truth seeks to set us free. The truth seeks to say, Jesus, it said, he's come to give us life, and that more abundantly. How's that life come? It says when Jesus came, he came full of what? Full of grace and full of truth. Where does truth begin? Because here's now where we look at the hope. God gives us the strength. He gives us the strength. The next slide, please, number four. Jesus offers us the hope and the strength when we struggle to tell the truth. Here's now, now we're coming out of the darkness, we're coming into the light. Jesus came into the world full of grace and full of truth. And where this battle to tell the truth begins, it begins in here. It begins in our heart and begins in our mind. Because we tell lies, but we also believe lies. We tell lies and we believe lies. Some of the lies that we believe are like, hey, you're worthless. You blow it so many times, you will never amount to anything in this world. Maybe you've heard that. A parent has said that. A teacher has said that. You. And it's just, it's left deep, deep wounds in your heart. For many years, I carried a wound around in my heart. Derek, blessings on you as a music teacher. He's a good music teacher. I had a pretty tough one when I was in eighth and ninth grade. I played baritone, uh, euphonium, like a small tuba, and I wasn't that good. Uh, I, and we were getting ready to go to a band competition at Six Flags Over Georgia, and we had, this, we had this song that we had to play, and it had a certain part that I just could not get the part. And one day the band director stops, and he goes, there's a problem over here in the brass. And so he starts out with the trumpets. Nope, it's not there. Goes to the French horns. Nope, not there. Goes to the trombones. Nope, not there. And I'm waiting. It's like, oh, I know where this is going to end. And he comes to me, and he stops, and he says, there's the problem. Aren't, don't play. Oh, ho, 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 ho. I was eighth grade. Yeah, you think that caused a little bit of problem the rest of my time in going into high school? Yeah. 
Um, was I happy with him? Hmm. He passed away this summer. And I thought, okay, how do I really feel about this man? Because he hurt me deeply. And I believe that, okay, I, I'm, not, I'm not good at playing. And I got to senior high, and I had a band director who said just the opposite. He said, let me work with you. Let me, let me come alongside of you. And he was very good. Well, we believe lies like, hey, you're worthless. You'll never amount to anything. When in reality, what does God say about you? God says you're precious to him. You're worth the price of the, his son's blood. And we believe, what we should be believing is that. Romans chapter 10 says that the weapons we fight with are not of this world. They are mighty. They are divine to the tearing down of strongholds. Therefore, we take every thought into captivity, making it obedient unto Christ. That's where the battle begins. Because we believe lies and we tell lies. So how do I tell the truth? It begins in my heart. It begins in my mind with, be, with telling the truth. Because it says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, and this is a really good one to memorize. And again... If this old dog can memorize this, so can a lot of us. We worked on this for a long time. But finally, brothers, whatsoever things are true. That's where he starts out with truth. What are you to believe? Believe the truth. He says, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what are we to do? Think about such things. Think about such things. Is what I'm going to say, is it true? Is it right? Is it noble? Is it pure? Is it going to lift that other person up or is it going to tear them down? Is it going to make me look good at their expense? He says, whatever is true. You know, it's interesting. We talk about the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. What's the first piece of the armor? The belt of truth. In a Roman soldier's uh, armor, everything hung on the belt. And everything in our lives hangs on the truth. Everything that we have hangs on that belt of truth. And to be a person who speaks the truth, we need to be in the truth, right? Jesus said, Father, sanctify them by your word, for your word is what? It's truth. God set them apart by your word. In order to speak the truth, we need to be in the truth. We need to be around people who are going to be challenging us. Is what you just said, <laughs> is that right? Because 98% of the truth and 2% lie is what? It's still a lie. We're still being dishonest. And where this battle begins is it begins in our heart. And some people will say, well, you know, there, there's, no, there's no hope for me. Go back to 1977. That's, that was a very pivotal year, it sounds like, for me. I had just prayed to receive Christ. I went with WVCY out of Milwaukee, the radio station out of Milwaukee. Went to their summer camp up at Lake Vermilion, Minnesota. Beautiful, beautiful place. Prayed to receive Christ there. And we went out and... We're swimming in the afternoon, and, and Lake Vermilion has lots of rocks, big, big rocks in the lake. And we were at a place where we were swimming, and we had our feet. I'm one who I need to have my feet be able to touch. I don't, I don't like to, I'm not a good swimmer, so I like to have my feet touching, and I knew my feet were on a rock. Well, a girl came up from behind me, and she dunked me. The problem was, when she dunked me, I'd sucked in a bunch of water, and my feet weren't on a rock anymore, because when she pushed down, my feet were off, and I had nothing to hold on to, and she just was holding me. She didn't know. She was just playing around. And my arms were flailing around because I, I was drowning. And all of a sudden, I felt somebody grab me by the arm. It was my best friend, Ken, and he pulled me out of the water. He said, he said are you okay? And I said, no, I wasn't okay. I said, and the girl's like, I'm sorry. I said, I said, you didn't do anything. I said, you didn't know what you were doing. You were screwing around. It's fine. But sometimes some of us feel like that today, like we're drowning. 
And Christ is the one who said, just reach out. Reach out to me. I'm the one who can help you to tell the truth. He says in his word, therefore, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's what? He's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And we also read in Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, I am crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but who lives within me? Christ. This life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who has set me free. Who's loved me and gave himself for me. Who lives within you? Christ. And we read in God's word that everything we need for life and godliness has been given to us in Christ. So the choice, is the strength there to tell the truth? Is is, is it costly to tell the truth? Sometimes it is. Sometimes, not sometimes, many times it is. What happened with Joy? Remember Joy? What happened with her? So after about three days of, of stewing in my own juice, I finally went over to her and, uh, and said, um, can I talk to you for a minute? Fine. <laughs> okay. Um, I said, I, I'm sorry. I hurt you when I said these things. And I said, I'm, I'm very sorry. Would you forgive me? Yeah. And away she walked. It took about two months for that relationship to get to a place. She was always brash and she was always bold and always in my face. But there the trust was beginning to be rebuilt. See, that's what happens. When, when we lie and when we are honest with somebody, especially those close to us, um, trust, is needing, trust needs to be restored. It, it, guys, we can't expect the miracle. Okay, all right, if I'm honest with her and tell her what's really been going on, uh, I, I hope she stays with me. If you're honest with her, sometimes we think that, okay, overnight then she's just going to accept and she's just going to trust me all over. It, it doesn't work that way. It takes time to restore trust. When trust is broken, it takes time to restore that trust. But should that keep us from doing the hard thing? Because for some of us, this week we need to have a conversation. And already you're thinking, oh, why did I come to church today? Why did I come to church today? Because <laughs> some of us need to have a conversation with somebody who we deeply love because we haven't been honest. We've been asked a question about something and we've been telling an answer that's, that's not the truth. And for those of you who are going to be on the other end of that conversation this week, grace great grace. It will be a struggle for that person, especially if that person is of the male persuasion, to come and to be honest. And I've been in conversations with, with wives, who've been, wives and husbands who've been, um, who the husband finally says, all right, I realize, I realize I've been an idiot. I, I, you know, would, you, would you forgive me? I'll think about it. It's like, ah, no, no, no. We just got you to this point of where, you know, we're going to bring some restoration and healing, and you just threw gas back on the fire. <clears throat> Grace. It doesn't mean that trust is restored overnight, <clears throat> but it means that we get on the road to healing. <clears throat> 
Because God desires truth in our inmost being. Does this have the potential to change the way in which our marriages are done? Huge. Does it have the potential to change the way in which I think about myself? How does God think about me? It does. Does it have the potential to change the way in which we as a church treat one another? Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? It does. It does have that, 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 it does have that potential if we will take God at his word. And for some of you this morning, I want to just encourage you because this is a tough one right now. And your heads are down and, and it's like, oh goodness, I don't want to even think about what this week is going to hold. But I want to encourage you that God is the one who brought you here today because he desires to do this work in you. And he is the one who's longing to do that. The question is, will we be honest? Honest with him and honest about ourselves and honest with those that we've not been honest with. Easy? I'm praying for you. I've been, <laughs> I've been where you are and I'll probably be there again at some point. I'm human just like what we are. But God desires truth in our inmost being. Here's an all play. May the words okay. All right. Over the next three weeks, we're going to be coming back to this again and again to where the point where you're I don't want to see that anymore. But this, as you go through this week, before you start a conversation, as you're sitting down to have coffee or as you're sitting down to do Pilates or whatever with the, with the ladies, um, is what I'm going to say, is it going to be pleasing? Is it going to be kind? Is it going to be true? Is it going to be right? When that kid in my classroom acts up and you just want to throttle him, <sighs> Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. It helps. <clears throat> it helps. I didn't think about this on Friday when the guy cut me off. Uh, it's like there's uh, the cop cars in the one lane, they got a, something in the ditch, and this guy's flying by me, and it's like, dude, what are you doing? And, and yeah, I didn't, I didn't show any fingers or anything like that, but I'm in my heart, I'm thinking, what on earth is wrong with you? The words of my mouth or the meditation of my heart wasn't good at that point. But thinking about this this week, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. And God, there is hope. And some of us struggle to tell the truth because it's just become part of the, the fabric of who we are. And Lord Jesus, you came to redeem every part of us. And I ask and pray that, God, this morning, that as you question us, you do so out of deepest love. I pray that we would be honest before you. Lies seek to grow in the, in the darkness. And they seek to snuff out the freedom that the truth longs to bring. 
And God, for some of us, we need to have a difficult conversation this week. I pray that, Lord, as we, as we look at that, that we will be honest and we will not try to sugarcoat it, make us look better than what, what we are, but that we'll be honest. And, Lord, for those who are on the other side of that conversation, I pray grace. Grace and the ability to forgive. That doesn't mean trust is restored overnight, but it is the beginning of a way back. God, you're the one that desires this in us. And you are the one that longs to do it in and through us. I pray that, God, we will allow you to do that. And I pray that, God, you would begin to change the landscape of our homes, our businesses, relationship with our children. And yes, Lord, even the landscape of this church that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. I will be praying for you this week, honestly. Um, I, I walk in here and, and pray, and I'll be praying for you. And um, I'm going to put the heat up a little bit more to say, I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit not leave you alone until you do what it is that he's asking you to do. I love you. I love you, and I love to see what it is that God's wanting to do in and through our lives. Amen? Amen. May the blessing of the Lord be upon you. May his strength go with you. May you be ones who let the light of Christ shine through your lives. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. Lord bless.